and uh, when it seems a bit out of control, really. I want to suggest that in times like there are four things that are common uh, to these times. And one is that we feel alone in them. Other people tell us, you know, I know how you feel, and they tell us their experience of whatever hard time they've been through, but we still feel alone. It doesn't take away the sense that this is our problem and, and that no one can really help us. It's hard not to feel alone. The second thing that happens is we, we naturally tend to focus on the present. Uh, when, when things are tough in our life, uh, that's all we can focus on. Stuff that's happened in the past, great stuff that's happened in the past, we tend to forget. The future plans we have, they go out the door as well. All we can focus on is the present stuff. It's hard to plan ahead because the stuff in our life in the present consumes our energy. And so thirdly, the third common experience of these things is that we focus on ourselves, naturally. It's quite hard to have the energy uh, to get beyond our own issues. We, we typically become quite self-centered. And the fourth thing that's common, I think, to these experiences is that they seem to have no purpose. They seem to be meaningless. When we experience pain that has a purpose, it's much easier to deal with. If you have knee surgery and the, and the specialist will say, now you've got to have rehab after your surgery and it, it will be quite painful, uh, we might not like that pain, but it's much easier to deal with because we know that we'll need, and some of you have experienced this, we'll need to go through that pain in our physio in order to get better. The pain actually has a purpose. And that at the other side of it, we'll be better. If that same pain uh, was in our knee and there was no reason for it at all, it would be much harder to deal with. Inevitably, when life sucks, times come they seem to lack purpose. It just seems like God or someone or the universe is conspiring to get us. Which reminds me of a story about a man I, I read about who was working on his motorbike uh, on a patio. His wife was inside in the kitchen. He was working on his motorbike outside on the patio and he was revving the engine uh, and it accidentally slipped into gear. He was hanging onto the handlebars and so his motorbike, with him hanging onto it, crashed through the patio, glass, and into the living room. Uh, his wife rushes out from the kitchen and discovers him there, rather beaten up. Um, she calls an ambulance. And uh, the ambulance come, and she goes down to meet the ambulance because the house has got some steep stairs in it um, outside, and so she meets the ambulance at the bottom, and she guides them up, and they take hubby away to patch him up because he's got cuts and bruises and uh, whatnot. So he goes off in the ambulance. She stays at home and she, she decides to try and clean up the mess and so she sweeps up all the glass from the patio and she manages to get his bike upright and she takes it back outside to the patio and it spilled some petrol in uh, the lounge and she soaks it up with paper towels and chucks them away. After an hour or so, he comes back from being patched up at the hospital, and he surveys the damage to his bike, which was a bit wrecked, and the broken patio glass, and he goes to the toilet, 
And while he's on the toilet, he decides to have a cigarette to console himself about the damage that's been done. Not realizing that his wife had disposed of the paper towels in the toilet. So when he stands up, having finished his business, he chucks his cigarette butt into the toilet. His wife hears, who's also in the kitchen again, hears a loud explosion. And she rushes into the toilet and finds the man's pants are rather tattered and he's got some burns in some unmentionable places. And uh, so she brings the ambulance again. The same ambulance attendants come and this time he's on a stretcher and they're carrying him down the steep steps when they ask the wife how on earth did this happen. And when she explains, they burst out laughing and drop him. (laughs) And he breaks his arm. So sometimes it just seems the universe conspires to get us. Remember that story when you're having a bad day. Uh, Let me read you a passage from 2 Corinthians. Um, It's actually quite a tough passage to understand because we're going through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, It's the kind of passage that makes your eyes glaze over, but never panic. We will make our way through it. So... uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. It began with such a glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was still uh, already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way? which makes us right with God. In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth, and this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We never give up. Just a reminder again, we're having some mic problems. We're just going to do a swap, are we? Just the pack. So... All right? Yep. Cool. All right. We're going to see if this one misbehaves. Um, the context for... We'll see. Cool. Yeah. We'll do it now. 
just use the handout. All right. Can't wave my hands around with the handout. Um, just to remind ourselves of the context uh, of uh, this passage, um, Paul's writing to the Corinth, the church at Corinth. Uh, we had a look last week at the fact that Corinth was an entertainment centre, sports centre, uh, a Greek city that was uh, booming, uh, trade centre, lots of it. It was a very multicultural sort of place. Uh, lots of people trying to get ahead. Uh, status was important. And Paul is defending his ministry. Uh, he's being attacked, and, he's, uh, and he continually talks about these tough times. He talks about being crushed, overwhelmed. He talks about all these experiences he's gone through. Uh, he talks about being perplexed, troubled on every side, uh, knocked down in constant danger of death. So he continually talks about these tough sort of times. Now, he uses some language in here that's quite difficult for us to understand. He talks about covenants. We tend to think of covenants as something to do with property. He talks about glory. We tend to think of glory, well, we don't tend to think about it. It's not a word we commonly use. Maybe we think of a sports team, like the Warriors or something, you know. Um, they're working on it. Um, so glories, uh, and then he talks about veils. We tend to think of veils to do with weddings, maybe, or um, you know, Muslim woman with a veil over their face. Uh, so th- these are these are not common concepts. Covenants, veils, glories, sort of chucked together. Not an easy sort of thing to get a head around. And then he talks about being reflective, us being like mirrors. I mean, it's some, you get some weird sort of juxtapositions going on. Uh, To understand this passage, you've got to go back to the Old Testament and you've got to go back thousands of years to um, Exodus 20 and to Exodus 34 to make any sense of what he's talking about. In Exodus 20, the people of uh, the Jews had come out of Egypt and uh, they hadn't yet entered the Promised Land uh, at Mount Sinai. They had some understanding of this God who'd rescued them, but their understanding was fairly fuzzy. Uh, And they they have an encounter with God before Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. Uh, And it says there was thunder, there was lightning, there was an earthquake, and God's voice speaks. And naturally, the people are frightened of this. Um, They're fearful of this God. And so they said to Moses, look, you let God speak to you personally, (laughs) and we'll, we'll listen to what you say. Um, and so Moses heads up the mountain, he's gone for 40 days, and the people get tired of waiting. It's like, where's he gone? So they pressurize Aaron into making this golden calf, uh, and, and basically they start having this great drunken party. Uh, Moses comes down, he finds this great chamozzle happening, uh, he's got these Ten Commandments in his hands, he throws them down, they, they shatter, uh, God says, I'm sick of this. Going to wipe these people out. Moses goes back up and intercedes for Israel. And at that point, it says that God revealed himself to Moses. So God, uh, Moses has this personal encounter with God and the glory of God. The glory of God simply means uh, all the characteristics of God together. That's the best way to understand the glory of God. Not just God's love, but God's justice, God's mercy, God's holiness, God's greatness. All of them together make up, in a sense, God's glory. So he has this encounter with God. And when Moses comes back down the mountain, it says that his face is glowing. I don't know whether it was literally glowing, but there was something profoundly 
different about Moses. When people looked at Moses, there was something profoundly different about it, about him. But it wasn't permanent. It faded. And so Moses put a veil over his face so people couldn't see this fading. Moses, in a sense, had to go back up the mountain to sort of top up, as it were, and get some more uh, of God. Now, there's a big theological debate about what this veil and why he did this and whatnot. Um, I won't bore you with it, um, partly because I don't actually fully understand it, um, <laughs> having spent half the week trying to understand it. But, um, you know, was it too much for the people of God to see the glory? Is that why he covered his face? Uh, did he cover it because he didn't want to see it fading? So some passages seem to indicate that. Uh, did it fade because of people's hardness of heart? Uh, did it fade because actually it was an old covenant and it wasn't going to be permanent? Uh, I don't know, there's, there's, there's big debates about it. But it is fair to say that the covenant, the old covenant, was limited. It had a limited value. It was great at the time, but the old covenant had serious problems because the Old Testament law was impossible to keep. You know, there's a whole series of laws but it didn't actually help you to keep them. Just because you know what's right and what's wrong doesn't actually help you to keep that standard. You know, so, and if we all fall short of these laws, then what hope do we have? What hope is there if we can't actually meet the standard? Systems of rules always lead to legalism, and they don't deal with the heart. Now, many people today still think that Christianity is a rules-based religion. It's not. It's not at all. Uh, that was the old covenant. But it would be fair to say that when we go through tough times and we feel alone and we focus on the present and ourselves and it all seems meaningless, in effect, often, we're still living under that old covenant. You know, because under the old covenant, God was distant. You didn't have direct access to God. Only the priests did. Under the old covenant, it was not clear what happened to you when you died. It was not clear about eternity and the future. And under the old covenant, if, if suffering came into your life, then often people said, well, it's because we've done something to offend God. Trouble is, we've always done stuff to offend God. So, um, but people swore, well, if suffering comes, you know, it must be because I've done something wrong. But we don't live under the old covenant. That's why the passage says, we are not like Moses. What is the difference? What is the difference between us and Moses? Well, the old covenant's been set aside. It's no longer in play. It was temporary. There is a new covenant now. And that's what the Christian message about Jesus is all about. That Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus came to pay the price for the fact that we continually rebel against God and stuff up, which is a justice issue. And justice has to be dealt with. But Jesus dealt with that. So now we have access to God. We, there's no priest, there's no intermediary, there's no sacrifices needed because there's one sacrifice for all time. There's no temple system with the inner holy of holies where the people had to stay on the outside and, and um, there was a curtain uh, that separated people from the presence of God. When Jesus died, it says the curtain temple, the veil, was torn. You know, the old, uh, in Exodus 20, the people had been afraid of God. It's like, oh, Moses, you go and see God face to face. We'll stay down here. 
But now we have nothing to fear, despite the fact we're far from perfect. We're sinners. We have access to God. The Spirit of God lives in us continually. Now, the law still stands. It hasn't gone away. It says the old covenant led to death, but the new covenant doesn't, doesn't lead to death because God is changing us from the inside out. And as God changes us, we reflect more of the glory of God. That is, when people look at us, they see a little bit of God. Not clearly, not perfectly, but they see a glimpse of God. That's what it means when it says that we reflect God. We're like mirrors, as it were. Uh, So when people look at us, they see something of God. Now, how does God do this? How does God change us and transform us? Well, almost always God transforms us in the tough times, in the life sucks moments. You know, whatever it is that you're going through right now, in this moment, God wants to use to change you, to cause you to become more reliant on himself and less reliant on yourself, to cause you to grow in character and patience and love and joy and peace. Because your character does not change in good times. What happens in good times is, is it leads to pride and arrogance. We think, great, life is great. I'm in control. I control my destiny. If I work hard, I'll get ahead, which is what the Corinth people thought. And good times always lead us to focus on the things that God gives as if they were God himself. So therefore, we end up worshipping our idols. But it's the tough times uh, where we realize we're not in control of life. The tough times cause us to call out in desperation to God. The tough times stretch our faith. What is faith? Being certain of what we cannot see. When life is going well, faith is easy. Of course God is in control. Look at all the good things in my life. That when we have sickness and struggle and suffering, that's when we really have to have faith in God. Because we see no evidence that God is good. We've seen that song before about God is good. When things are going badly, where is the evidence that God is good? We don't have evidence that God is in control. It seems like God is out of control. We don't have evidence that the kingdom is expanding. We don't see it. We develop faith by stepping out onto the water and then beginning to sink and crying out to God. Faith is not developed by staying in the boat. And faith is not developed by walking along the water as if it's a calm lake and it's a piece of cake. Faith is developed by keeping our eyes on Jesus in the middle of the storm and sometimes even sinking. That is what develops faith. And it's in the life sucks moments that build character in our life. And as people begin to see how we interact with life, they begin to see something different about us. See, instead of feeling alone in those times, we can know the reality that we're not alone. God is walking with us. And that gives us a confidence, not a cockiness, but a confidence, a deep confidence. And as people begin to see us pressing into God and taking comfort from that, we begin to reflect a little bit of God to them. And we can also begin to focus on eternity. We can move beyond the present to eternity. Whatever you're going through right now is but a blink in light of eternity. The struggles you're going through now will not last forever. There is something greater and bigger than the present. That means the present does not define our future. 
whatever you're going through at the moment, the present does not define your future. Whatever you're going through now does not define who you are as a person or what is going to happen in the future. Now, you can pay thousands of dollars to go to a seminar to hear this, all right? But you get it here for free, minus the offering. Um, <laughs> uh, it's free, all right? I'll say it again. The present, your present stuff that you're going through does not define your future, whatever it is you're going through. And it does not define who you are as a person. When we begin to walk truly with God, as children of God, we have a confidence beyond any circumstance that life might throw at us. Because we know this is not the end of the story. We know that God has a great future for us. And we know who we are as children of God. Which means we can focus on more than ourselves. When we know that there's a purpose in what we're walking through. All things work for good, it says in Romans 8.28, for those who love him called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work for good. That is that God will bring good out of any and every circumstance you're walking through right now. Right now. And part of that good, inevitably, part of that good that he's, he's uh, working in the circumstance you're going through right now is that you are becoming more Christ-like. That's why in chapter 2, Paul describes his life as a sweet fragrance. Now you read uh, 2 Corinthians and you read his life and you think, what? You know, it seems anything but a sweet fragrance. He's being shipwrecked and beaten and he goes without food and shelter and he's lashed and he's in pain and tired. And, you know, it's like, what? You know, sweet fragrance. How does that work? Sounds like a nightmare. But he says, wherever we go, he says, our lives are a sweet fragrance that we are sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. And he says, for some it's great and it's sweet, and for others, it's not. But it doesn't matter, he says, we're givers of life. The message we have is a sweet fragrance. We are givers of life. We're in this ministry. And he says, that's why he says in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, that we will not give up. We will not give up. Because we're in this wonderful ministry. See, he sees his life in a totally different way. God's glory shines brighter in the darkness. We are reflectors of that glory, but only if we're living under the new covenant. Only if we know the reality of God with us will we reflect God's glory. Do you know the reality that God's Spirit is living in you? God's glory shines brighter in the darkness. We are a reflector of that glory, but only if we're living under the new covenant. Only if we know that this life is not all that there is. That all the junk that this life chucks at us is not the end. We're not missing out on anything if life is not good at the moment. We're not missing out if we can't do certain things. We're not missing out if life is tough. God's glory shines brighter in the darkness. We are a reflector of that glory, but only if we're living under the new covenant. Only if we realize that what is happening in our life at the moment has purpose. 
that God wants to use what's happening in your life at the moment to shape and mould us and to build our faith. God's glory shines brighter in the darkness. We are a reflector of that glory, but only if we're living under the new covenant. And if we realise that rather than focus on ourselves, God is asking us to look around to a hurting world and to realise that we are to be a sweet perfume to bring hope. Only as we take our eyes off ourselves and realise the amazing ministry that God has given. God's glory shines brighter in the darkness. I'm going to ask uh, some friends of ours, Sue and Graham, to come to the front. We might uh, steal another microphone. Can we steal this one? We got that one going? Cool. This is Graham and Sue. So, um, Graham and Sue uh, have experienced um, a different type of uh, sort of life sucks type experience. Um, Lena shared last week. Um, Graham and Sue were at Eastside uh, with us when they had their first child, Michaela. Uh, and since then, they've had two more children. Um, but their experience has been challenging, to say the least, um, over the last 20 years. But <laughs> more than that. Uh, how old's Michaela now? Uh, she'll be 24 in October. 24, okay. Graham and Sue, tell us um, about your children first before we, just to give some context to what we're talking about. Okay, just a brief overview of um, those, those who um, don't, don't know us. Um, my name's Graham and my wife Sue. Um, we have got three children. Uh, Michaela will be 24 in, in October. And um, our children are probably a little bit different to what most children are. Um, Michaela's got quite severe autism, um, and for Michaela that means that she, she doesn't talk, um, she needs to be fed, she needs to be toileted, she needs to be um, dressed, lot, lots of things, there's lots of gaps, um, so there's, it's been quite, quite a struggle over the past 24 odd years for Michaela. Um, Michaela's no longer living at home, she's, she's in full-time care, um, being, being looked after um, with, with four other um, girls who are quite similar to Michaela, three other girls. And um, so that's, that's Michaela. Um, then we've got Rachel. Um, Rachel's 19, going on 20. And Ra Rachel's got a condition called neurofibromatosis, which, which she's um, in inherited from me. And that basically means that anywhere you've got a nerve in your body, um, you could get a lump or, or a tumour growing on it. And for Rachel, that means that she's, um, she's got a tumour growing on her spine, um, which she had, she had most of it removed last year. But it was quite a big tumour. It, it weighed 1.2 kilograms, um, so that's quite, yeah, it's quite severe. But that's left a lot of nerve damage, and um, Rachel's in a lot of pretty much constant pain. Um, she's been on morphine and Tremadol over the years to, to try and cope with it, but it's like taking Tic Tacs to her now. So she's got quite, um, quite a condition there. It's going to be ongoing. Um, we recently found a, a small um, brain tumour which we're not too concerned about at the moment. It seems to be behaving itself, but you know, a small brain tumour is not, not a great thing, so um, there's lots to deal with there. And then we've got Joshua, 
my wee boy. We named named Joshua Joshua because of Joshua in the Bible. And when Joshua and Caleb um, were scoping out for promised land for potential settlement, um, there were big armies there, there were giants, but there were lots of bad things there. And they came back and said, hey, look, um, this this, this land is, is pretty good, but it's got lots of issues. And everyone said, hey, look, they're too big to deal with. Uh, we can't go there. We, we're a small nation. We, we, can't, we can't go there because we're going to get squashed. But Caleb and Joshua, whose name Joshua's named after, said, hey, look, that, that's right. There's, there's also lots of good things there. There's lots, lots of hope, lots of promise. And um, we can do that because God's on our side. So we named Joshua Joshua. It turns out we probably should have named him Job because... <laughs> Because Joshua, Joshua can do a lot more than Michaela. Joshua can feed himself, he can dress himself, he can um, go to the toilet by himself when he wants to. Sometimes he doesn't want to, so we have to clean that up. Um, but he can also climb. Joshua is, Joshua is Invercargill's number one child escape artist, according to the, the, um, the placement in charge of search and, search and rescue. And, and no matter what I do to the fences and things like that, he escapes. Apparently putting um, barbed wire in electric fence is illegal. You can't do that. I can't understand why, but you can't do that. So there's, there's lots of issues that we deal with Josh. Um, Josh is almost 16. Oh, he is 16. Um, but he can't talk, um, so there's lots of, lots of issues and problems there. Um, but he can do a lot of things for himself as well. So, in your darkest times, what, what, have, what have things been like for you in your darkest moments? Well, in the darkest times, things have been pretty tough. I went through, first of all, especially when we first had Michael, I went through a period of denial. And the same with Josh Red. I didn't want to know that something wasn't right, but I knew it. Um, and then I got really angry with God, and it was easy to be angry because then I didn't have to feel anything. So that went on for a period. Then, then I mean, I had a very difficult time of depression. It seemed like there was no purpose. There was darkness. I even got to the point that I was feeling like maybe it would be better not to wake up. And I was very fortunate that even though it didn't seem like God was still there, it was still there. I used to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and go for long, long walks because I couldn't sleep. And I would just say to myself that I knew God was there, but I just couldn't feel it. And my mother, she was, she was quite special. She had been through depression herself. She's, my brother has actually got Asperger's. So she knew something of what I'd been going through. Oh. And um, she picked up what was, what was going on. She got me to the doctor. And then every day she would come and she would go through things to, with me. We'd do all the housework together, look after Michaela. And then she would say, can you, would you look at it if I read to you and pray? And I said, from the Bible. And I said, yes, that would be great because I wasn't able to pray. I wasn't able to read. I mm. even couldn't even eat for a while. Right. So she used to cook me nice nourishing soups. And that went on for quite, quite a while. But then gradually I came out of that and... I was involved with a ladies' group, which was really helped me. 
there was also I went to a point there that was there was a verse and I came across I read in, in Psalm 127 and it says, "Children are a gift from God and they are a blessing." I just could not say that with my children. I put a big cross for it for for, for a number of years. Right, Graham, for you, when things were darkest, what was it like? Um, to, to, to me, when things are darkest, and sometimes they still are, mm. um, it's, it's, I know, it's, it's all like a, an, an ongoing sort of struggle. Like, couldn't understand why, why Michaela wasn't like Michaela. Then we had Rachel, then we got Josh, and there's, you know, there's, it just doesn't really sort of seem to be in, into it. For Michaela and Josh, uh, even though they're autistic and the way that they are, they sort of don't really care, especially Michaela. She sort of thinks that we're probably the ones that are special needs and have all got issues. But, but with Rachel, I mean, Rachel's always bringing up saying that she's in pain and all the rest of it. And you, I say to God quite often, you know, mate, you know, isn't it too hard time for someone else to have some, some of these issues? And it feels like we've got a bullseye painted on our back sometimes. But we sort of got, got to understand I'm, I'm sort of dealing with this, that um, God's got a bigger picture. And there's, there's a, re- a reason um, why, why, these things, why these things have happened. And if it's not going to last forever, it seems like it sometimes, but it's not going to last forever. But, it, but it, at the end of it, when, when I meet God and sort of ask a few of these questions, there will be a reason why things have happened. And that's, that's sort of why um, we, we cope the way that we do, because one, one thing, because we have to, and also because um, God's got a, a bigger picture in mind and, and the reason for, for why these things have happened. Okay. Um, I, I do fully expect when I get to heaven to have a, um, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I expect a pretty good ocean view. Um, you know, 24-hour 20, 20, room service, you know, cray, crayfish on the menu every day. Um, but I don't know, that, that's up to God, but um, yeah. Okay, that's after you've interrogated God about this matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how have you been aware of just God being with you in this journey? I mean, this is a 24-year journey, and it's continuing, but what's, you know, you've talked about in the dark times that God's just been absent, but what are the, where have you seen glimpses that God has been with you? You know, how have you experienced that, uh, you know, where you thought God is there? I think it's just the simple things of people coming along saying, saying, how are you getting on, offering to help. I remember one time when Graham's brother and his wife came down for a week to visit us, and um, they settled in, and then the next day they said, right, you two are going off for a day, we're going to look after the kids. And we didn't know what to do with that day, actually, <laughs> start off. That was pretty amazing. I can remember another little incident when I was doing the grocery shopping, and I had, had them both with me, and it wasn't easy watching them and doing the shopping. And I was up at the checkout, and a lady came along and said, here, I'll watch the kids while you get your shopping through. And, you know, just little things like that, because cause, um, it can be quite lonely, because people not understanding special needs children it can scare them, and their way of tr- dealing with it can be just to, just to um, ignore it, walk away, and that can be quite hard. Um, for me, it's, 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 it's trying to make time for yourself and trying to, trying to do some of the things that, that you enjoy um, just to sort of have some sort of life to yourselves because you, you don't always get that. Um, so um, just, just this year, I've, I've made the conscious choice of, of um, trying to turn, turn things around um, to, to some sort of extent. Um, 
for, for, for years of being, being watching quite a bit of porn, um, which is not, not that great, and God's saying to me, dude, you don't need to do that because, you know, I'm, I'm your escape, I'm your um, reason to, to look, you know, have something to look forward to. So sort of trying, trying to stop that. But also um, exercising. I've been, been ex exercising quite a bit and lost 15 kilos in, in the past six months. So that's, for me, that's been good. It's, it's had something to focus on, something to... Um, something to, to target myself, oh, I'm going to lose, you know, 500 grams this, this month sort of thing. And um, just, just doing things like that, been listening to a lot more um, Christian-based inspirational music, um, a lot of the time while I'm exercising, so oh, yeah, by the time the song's over, I'm going to do an extra, you know, an extra K or something to treat more. So, so just trying to change the focus of, of how I, I deal with things and um, drawing, drawing upon God a lot more than... But, but what the world would sort of say is, is an escape, so okay. that's cool. for me anyway. Cool. So, um, just as you, and this is a really hard question to, um, to answer, but, uh, you know, as you look back over the 24 years, how do you think God's been changing you in the midst of this journey? What's God been doing uh, in terms of transforming your life? <laughs> I think I think for me it's it's um it's it's changing how I feel about myself as well. Okay. Working through personal issues, um, just knowing that God loves me, and if He loves me, then He's not going to create something that's not valuable. Right. Um, and I've been part of some support groups, which have been really good. It's just nice to be around mums and that with what we call normal children. Right. And it doesn't matter what they do, it doesn't phase them. Um, and it's being able to look past and see what see the beauty that is is there. Yep. And then I can I go I volunteer for a, every Tuesday. I go out to environment for disabled, so I'm able to work with other children who have special needs. And it's looking I've learned to look past the things that might be annoying, and you can see the lovely child underneath. Yep. Um, and helping, encouraging the new mothers out there, and, and just passing on what I've, I've learned. Right. And at the same time, God's really blessed me. He's given me a peace. I mean, I still get tired. I get grumpy. I jump up and down. Feel like throwing the talons sometimes, but I've still got that peace that somehow God knows what He's doing. Yeah. And I can actually now say that yes, my children are a blessing, and are a gift. Mm. <laughs> How's God changing you, Graham, uh, over this time? What's God been doing to been changing your life through this journey you've walked through? Probably changing my life at um, re realizing that I can only do this through, through God, and that without God's um, help and sort of promise of um, eternity, I guess, that um, that I, I couldn't do it. So that I, I believe that I'm, I'm, I'm stronger in my belief now than I probably would have been. Um, without these experiences, although slightly different experiences, probably would have been my first choice. But um, that's, 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 not, that's, not, that's not the way that it turned out. And that, um, yeah, that's probably about it. Right, yeah. yeah I think it's also meant that we've got a closer dependence on God and, and a closer marriage. Um, it was either all close, and we chose to work on this together, and I've seen other people who, who have, sorry, 
<laughs> split up over, over this and their marriages are broken down, which is sad. Mm. But we're still with God and we're still here. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I was just about to say myself that um, I wouldn't be able to do this without the support of my, my lovely wife. And that um, without, without our relationship, which I think is fairly good, we've been married 25 years and we haven't struggled each other yet. Um, that, that without Sue's love and support, because she knows exactly what I'm going through, she's been through worse because she's um, having to, to deal with um, a lot more um, like school, you know, getting ready for school stuff and after school and Josh climbing trees and things and holidays and, and everything else. So without Sue's support and, and her love, then, then neither of us would have been able to, um, to do this. Mm. Hey, I just want to honour you two just in terms of the journey you've walked and we've seen a little bit of that journey over the years and I just want to honour the two of you um, for your yeah, tremendous um, courage uh, that you've had to walk through this journey and stay together and stay close to God. Um, it is a, tr a tremendous testimony, so well done. So, give them a hand.